Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, November 28, 2021. Today's sermon is from Hebrews 3, 1-6. If you'd like to follow along, go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 will be in verses 1 to 6, though we will pay particular attention uh, to 2 through part of 6. And the, the title of my sermon is More Glory Than Moses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you with your word in front of us, with these words from from Hebrews 3, and we need your help. We pray that you give us great grace, pray that Christ would increase, that I would decrease, pray that you would work greatly through the preaching and teaching of your word, and as always, in spite of me. Father, we need you greatly, and we don't take anything for granted, but we ask that your Holy Spirit convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, that, Father, Christians would be strengthened in Christ, convicted, but looking unto Christ who has covered our sins, and who forgives us. For non-Christians that are here today, I pray that you give them ears to hear and eyes to hear to see that they would turn and be saved. Father, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6, but I'm going to break after verse 1 and just, that's my, my introduction, just to, because we're not going to spend a lot of time in verse 1, but look there with me. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful, verse 2, to him who appointed him. This morning, as Christians, we gather. And verse 1 describes what this looks like. We are a holy family. Back in chapter 2, verse 11, we are called brothers. In verse 13, there of chapter 2, we are the children of God, a people given to the Son. And because of the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross, sin and death have been defeated, and Jesus is our wrath-appeasing sacrifice. He is our propitiation. As the Lamb of God, Jesus, He laid down His life as a sacrifice for His sheep. And God laid on Him, Isaiah 53, 6, the iniquity of us all. all. Our sins as Christians was laid upon Christ. And now, we are called holy. A spiritual family. When God looks upon us as Christians, He sees not our sin, but He sees the person and work of, of the Son. So, today if you are a Christian, God does not see your sin, but instead You are called holy. So as Christians, we are called holy. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, as Ephesians 2 tells us. 
And then, we see here in verse 1 as well, we share in a heavenly calling. Here the author is emphasizing the superiority of Christianity to Judaism. We must not forget the context of the book, the letter to Hebrews. He's talking and comparing an earthly system with a heavenly one. And so the author is emphasizing the superiority of Christianity to Judaism, which Judaism knew only an earthly calling, and it only had an inheritance in the land, on the earth, the land of Canaan. Think about their inheritance. To Abraham, it was an earthly nation, and it was the land of Canaan. But as Christians, what is our spiritual land? We are waiting the new heavens and the new earth. Their citizenship was found in the land of this earth. But our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And for this we wait. And so this verse also speaks of a confession. As Christians, we confess Jesus Christ to be Lord. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high. Our hope is not in prophets, the prophets of old. Our hope is not in the angels. Our hope is not in Moses. As Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's 1 Timothy 6. So that's just a little quick synopsis as I'm not going to preach a sermon on verse 1 but let's continue today because our command here is to consider so that's what I want us to do to consider Jesus who is greater than Moses consider Jesus who is has more glory glory than Moses look at verse well let me read these and then we'll go back through them but look starting in verse 2 He was faithful, speaking of Moses, to him who appointed him. Excuse me, speaking of Christ. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Today, our command is to Again, to consider Jesus, who is greater than Moses. Because verse 3, for Jesus has been counted more worthy than Moses. So with that in mind, I have two main comparisons. So if you're following me so far, that was my introduction and introduction of verse 1 there. So now let's start all over again. With this sermon, Christ has more glory than Moses. I have two comparisons between Moses and the Son. And here, we'll find them in this text. Here's number one. Jesus has more glory as an apostle. And then two, Jesus has more glory as the Son. So let's begin. 
Consider Jesus who has more glory as an apostle. Look at verse 1. Jesus is called the apostle of our confession. In the New Testament, the word apostle is used 19 times. And this is the only place in the scriptures where Jesus is referred to as an apostle. And so, this is very interesting because to be an apostle comes from the Greek word to be sent. So Jesus is the one who is sent. When I see the word apostle, when you see the word apostle, what comes to your mind first? Well, it's usually not Jesus. It's usually the 12 disciples who then become, they're the 12 apostles. But they are chosen by Jesus, and they're sent out with the task of preaching the gospel in the world and continuing the work that that he started. And these men are sent out with authority from the one who sends them. I think of Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said, all authority is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That is our command as well. But when we consider Moses... He was not called an apostle per se, but Moses was certainly an apostle in the sense of the, the, the general meaning of the word because he was sent by God with a special purpose. Do you remember the burning bush? It's one of the most interesting times in all the scriptures with this bush that is burning and is not consumed. God speaks to Moses there in the desert at this bush. And there, God reveals, reveals himself to Moses. And here's what he says to Moses. This is him sending Moses. He says, Moses, come. First thing he says, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here we see God with the authority given to Moses, sending him out with a task to do something. So in that way, Moses was an apostle. And so, if you think about it, though, from a Hebrew perspective, or even from our perspective, can you think of a greater task than for this man, Moses, to lead an entire nation out of slavery under the yoke of the most powerful, arguably the most powerful nation on the earth at that time? And here is a shepherd, a man who is a shepherd, has been living in the desert for many years, and God calls him and says, go to that nation and speak to Pharaoh with this task. I, don't, I can't think of a, a greater task. And then not merely to, to lead them out of slavery, but then to form them as a nation. So when we think about the book of Hebrews, and the author is writing to the Hebrews, they look back to Moses as the one who founded them. And we look back in that in chapter 1 and 2, that Jesus is the founder of our salvation. Moses was their founder. And so he formed them as a nation, and God used Moses to do that. And then, not just to form them as a nation, but then to teach them the laws of God, to teach them how to worship, and we could go on and on. But Moses, as God's apostle, God's sent one, was responsible for forming an entire nation, a special nation, a nation that would know God. And concerning those sent by God in the Old Testament with with different tasks, for the Hebrew person reading Hebrews, for the Jewish person, Moses is the greatest apostle, for sure. 
So let me, let me share something I discovered this week while I was studying. Do you remember when God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush and he said, as I just shared, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Well, do you remember what Moses said? What was his reaction? Well, he said, uh, I think, my translation, God, can you send someone else? That's exactly what he says from Exodus 4. Can you send someone else? Because then he speaks about his mouth and he can't speak. And, and they have this back and forth there. Well, actually, it's not back and forth. But it's Moses complaining and, and saying, hey, send someone else. But God denies his request, of course. <laughs> and, he, and he does send Moses. But I imagine, if you just, just think with me, back at that time, God was thinking, Moses, don't worry, I will send someone else. I'm sending you now to Egypt to establish my people, Israel. But I imagine God was saying, and I know he was, because we have the scriptures, but one day I will send someone else, and he will be the true apostle, and he will establish not just a people for this earth, but he will establish a new heavens and a new earth. And I imagine God was thinking, Moses, you are from the earth. But this one that I will send, he is from heaven. And later, Moses, even as God's prophet, would know this. And he would say himself in Deuteronomy 18. He says, the Lord your God will raise up from among you a prophet like me from your brothers. It is to him that you will listen. When we come to the New Testament, John the Baptist, he picks up on this great truth of God sending someone. And he sends his disciples to Jesus, okay, in the New Testament. Matthew 11, and his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, come to Jesus and they say, Are you the one to come? Because they're thinking back to what we just what I just spoke of with Moses. Are you the one? Are you the one to come? Are you the one who is sent by God? There's the word apostolo. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to the disciples of John the Baptist, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf will hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, yes, I am the one. And there's a lot more there we could say. But in John chapter 11, right before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says to Martha, Martha, do you believe what I'm saying? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe what you're saying. In fact, John eleven twenty five 25 through 27, she says, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. In other words, that same theme. In other words, Lord, you are the sent one. You are the great apostle. You are God's apostle. You are the one of whom Moses and the prophets 
spoke. Did you know that in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus is referred to as the one who is sent more than 30 times in John alone? Well, today, brothers and sisters, Christ is not just an apostle. He is the apostle. God gave Moses, when we think about Moses, comparing Moses with Christ, God gave Moses his words, but Jesus is the very word of God. Every word that Jesus spoke and speaks is God's word. There's nothing left out, nothing added, nothing subtracted. It is everything, he says, because he is the word of God. Moses was given the Spirit, of course, for the task of leading this nation and forming this nation and all that he did. But with Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit remains on him without measure. He is the fullness of God. Well, Moses was sent under the old covenant, Mosaic law, but Jesus ushers in a new covenant. The law came through Moses but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. So that's truth number one this morning. Greg, if you'll put up some, just to wake us up in between truth one and truth two. Considering Jesus as the apostle, the sent one, let's do some congregational reading. As we normally do. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. We'll come back to some applications at the very end, but Jesus has more glory as an apostle, the apostle, than Moses. So that's the first comparison. Second comparison... Consider Jesus, who has more glory, as the Son. Now here, the author compares a servant, or you can also be translated as a slave, but a servant with the Son. The one who actually is the prince or the son of the, the, the one who owns the house. Look at verses 3 to 6. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's where I get the sermon title. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Here we see that both Moses and Jesus were faithful. Moses was faithful 
Jesus was faithful. So the author is not comparing faithfulness. Because as we've seen, Moses was very faithful. But he is comparing their position. One is faithful as a servant of a household or as a slave. The other one is faithful as the, as the owner, as the son, as the one who is the heir of the household. And then later we will see, too, that Jesus himself is the builder. But let's think about this, put this more in earthly terms for just a moment. When you hear the word goat, what comes to your mind? Some of you may be thinking the goat with the little ears if you are a farmer. Some of you may be thinking the greatest of all time as you consider your basketball skills or someone else's skills. So let me ask you, who's better? Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Who's better? The old people would say, for sure, Michael Jordan. Maybe some of the young people might say LeBron is better. I mean, I don't know. Does anybody here watch hockey? We lived in Russia for eight years, so a little bit of hockey there. Who was the, uh, actually, this person was called the great one. If you're a hockey, who was it? It was Wayne Gretzky. Well, who, Alex, is it Alex Ovechkin, the Russian guy that plays now? He may end up passing. I don't know what's going to happen there. But there's arguments there. Was Wayne Gretzky or is it Ovechkin? Who's better? Or who is better, Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus? Well, we do that as people. We compare. That's what we're doing today with Moses and with Jesus. But you know what? We can compare with you know, we can, we can argue Michael Jordan and LeBron all day long about who is better. And we may disagree. But at the end of the day, when we compare two men together, we are comparing apples with apples. One man may, may be a gala apple. The other one may be a, a Granny Smith. But they are still apples, okay? You still eat them and they taste and look the same. We are making comparisons when we compare things of this earth with those things that have the same kind of glory. But we could move this into some other things. Let's think about some other creatures. Think about a snail. I don't know why I chose a snail. It just came into my mind. I thought, what an amazing creature. It just slowly creeps along, and it really can be quite beautiful if you think about it. And if I were to study snails, I, I would be pretty excited about the snail. Um, Olivia, you're thinking you should study what? The, 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 what's the lazy being, the thing? The sloth. Well, if you like sloths, you're like, wow, look at, look at their glory. I mean, think about an ant. We've got literally more ants in our yard than our national deficit. I'm sure of it, in our yard alone. But there's nothing like them in their glory. They work all day long. They know exactly where to go, and they carry exactly what they're supposed to carry here and there and to and from, and they are organized. So many creatures we could, we could compare and think about. I mean, just move up. The cat or the dog or Kristen's favorite was always, what, the giraffe? She loved giraffes, elephants. And we can draw comparisons between even between a giraffe and, a, and an elephant or a, a dog and a snail as, as created beings. Or if we wanted to consider other things that are, that are 
not animate. Think about the planets and the stars and the asteroids and the things that make up our universe. And all of these have their own glory. And what about mankind? Men and women, here we are, we sit. God made us in His image. And as far as creatures go that dwell on this earth, there is really no comparison in some ways between us and the animals because we were created, are created in God's image. What is man that you are mindful of him? Even we've seen that back here in chapter 2. You made him for a little while lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory. Or we could think about the glory of the angels, which we've already done. Great glory the angels have. <laughs> but all of these things cannot compare to the Son. Because He is of, in His essence, He is of a different glory. So when we think about Moses, Moses had great honor and great glory, the text tells us. Again, as a Jewish person, there is arguably no one person with more glory than Moses. If we consider Moses and all of his faithfulness and what God sent him to do, there is no equal in their minds as a man. At least when you consider his place in forming the nation of Israel. And he had great honor again and great glory. But the glory of Christ is of a different kind. We're not arguing apples to apples when we think about Christ. The scripture says this of him. He is the image of the invisible God. And think about this with me, what I'm going to say here, because there's nothing more essential and important for us as Christians to know these things about him. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the Word of God. If you've seen Him, He says, you've seen the Father. He is the Creator of the world. Back in Hebrews 1 here, He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. To the angels, God says, Worship Him, which we've seen in chapter 2. And He says, Your throne in chapter 1, O God, is forever and ever. He is eternal. The earth will pass away, but He will remain. We've seen that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Hebrews. <laughs> when you think about Moses, no one ever worships Moses. For God says, I will not give my glory to another. But yet in Hebrews 1 and 2, we see that the Son, in His essence, He does have the glory of the Father. And He does have the same glory as the Father. So brothers and sisters, when we consider Moses, we aren't comparing apples to apples, MJ with LeBron, or even ants to angels for that matter. We cannot do more justice, I believe, to the person and work, person of Christ here, than really the words that, that the Scriptures give to him. Yes, Moses was faithful. 
But his faithfulness as a servant of God's house is merely a picture of the Son who is the heir and even the builder of God's house. Literally, Christ is the goat, the greatest of all time, if we might limit our words by saying that. But Moses was created. He is the creator. Moses was an apostle. Jesus is the apostle. Moses was a priest of the earth. Jesus is, a, is the high priest of heaven. Moses is a servant. Jesus is the son. Moses is a part of God's household. <laughs> but Jesus himself is the builder. Brothers and sisters, Moses could no more take us to heaven than he could build a spaceship and transport us all to Mars. He could not do that. That was not his purpose. His purpose was to point to the one who was faithful over all of God's house as the Son. This is the Son of God, the Lord of glory. Look at verse 5, though, with me. Moses is a servant, and his service is for what? Verse 5, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. I think of Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Today, as Christians, and as the angels, together we worship in fact, all of creation worships, but we worship the Son, who is both the Son and the builder of the great household of God. So let me ask, trying to put this, bring this to a close here in the next little bit, but let me ask, what is this great household of God over which Jesus is faithful? It's right here in the text. Look at verse 6. If indeed we hold fast our confidence, well, excuse me, right before that, and we are his house. We are the people of God, of whom Moses was only a servant. Look at verse 6 again. We are his house. Now we've seen this already back in chapter 2 because Jesus is the founder of a new family. Look back at chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. So Jesus, again, is building a family. And then in, look, at, look at 2, verses 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then look at verse 13. Behold, I and the children God has given me. And then verse 16. For surely it is not the angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Today, Jesus is building a people. In the New Testament, this is the church. We might say the church, we could use that in the Old Testament as well, the people of God, but particularly in the New Testament, it is developed. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, the author tells us here to consider Jesus who is the high priest of our confession. Well, I think of Peter, the confession of Peter, when he speaks about building his church. Do you remember those words? Very famous words from Matthew chapter 16. 
In this passage in Matthew 16, we see that Jesus is being compared to men. But, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter understands. Let me read these words from Matthew 16, 13 to 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? Because the people are comparing. Okay? They're probably, the Jewish folks there are comparing him to the prophets and to Moses and to others, which is obvious. And the people said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice he didn't say John the Baptist, didn't say Elijah, didn't say Jeremiah, or any of the prophets. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, what does he say next? Probably remember it. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not or shall not prevail against this building, this church. So today, the church of Christ is built upon the rock of glory. Jesus Christ, who he, he Himself is the master builder. And this text doesn't just imply it, puts it forward as He is the builder of this great household, along with God. Now, with this in mind, for just a few more minutes, I want to continue this comparison, okay? With some things as we look to apply this, these comparisons and apply them to our lives today as we leave this place. So I want to make just a couple um, observations, from the, not just from here, but some implications, and then try to apply them. Moses, as a servant, just like us, Moses was a servant just like us. He did not have the power to command the heart. So that's a, that's a comparison that we see. Not necessarily right here in the text, but it's certainly implied, and it's clear in the rest of Scripture. Never did Moses have the power to compel the people to receive his words or believe his words when he was there telling them what to do. He did not have the power to do so. In other words, he did not have the power over the heart's of those whom he spoke to. But what does Jesus do? He commands the heart. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things, Jesus says, have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. In other words, Jesus does something with great power to command our hearts to reveal His people to the Father. Now, we also see the opposite of that, that that the, the Father gives them to the Son, but we see very clearly the power and work of Jesus. John 5, 21 to 23. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. 
The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. John 17, verses 1 and 2. He says, right before he gets ready to go to the cross, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all of flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Moses wrote the words that he gave to Israel on tablets of stone. But Jesus, who is the Word of God, he writes on the hearts of sinful men and women. If you are a Christian today, it is because the Son has revealed you to the Father. The Son has given you great, I don't want to use the word great, He's given you power to believe. This is the, the grace and the effectual working of God in the heart. And this was never attributed to Moses, but certainly it comes and it is attributed to Christ. As God in the flesh, the Holy Spirit continually rests upon him. And so he gives in this way. Another comparison. With Moses, the people merely received his message. They received what he asked them to do. They received it sometimes well, sometimes not so well. So they received the message. But today, we don't just receive a message. We receive Christ Jesus himself. In this way, the messenger is also the message to be received. Matthew 10, verse 40. Jesus says, whoever receives me, Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. John 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him, speaking of the Jews. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Today, if you are a Christian, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus... You have not merely received my words or the words of the Bible. You have received the Lord Jesus himself. If you are not a Christian, then I would say even as we're going to see next couple weeks, we're going to work and flesh this out. Do not refuse what I preach because I preach Christ. And I preach today, I have preached Christ as the one who has more glory than Moses. If you are here and you are not a Christian, do not refuse these words week after week. Do not harden your hearts. And I think we're, that is the practical outlook of the entire book of Hebrews, as he's going to say. We're going to see that next, next time very clearly. Let's think of one more comparison. Moses only knew what God told him. So Moses was acquainted with very little. As God chose when to speak to Moses and what to give to Moses. As Moses would, from the beginning to the end, God was speaking to Moses. God, Moses would go up on the mountain and God would speak. And then Moses would take that little bit that God spoke. He would go back and he would give it to the people. He always did that. Okay, He was go-between. He was the go-between between God and men in that way. 
But he was acquainted with very little. He only knew what God told him. And then added those together with his mental capacities to do what he could do. But it is not so with the Son. <laughs> John 1, verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. In other words, I quote that verse because Jesus comes from the bosom, from the side of the Father. Jesus, who is the Son, knows what God knows. He is acquainted with all the secret counsels of God in His essence. I know that it gets tricky when you talk about when it says he does, even the Son doesn't know the, son, the, 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 the hour that He returned. I think that's clearly speaking about Him in His flesh, and it's a great mystery. But as God, in His essence, He knows exactly what the secret counsels of God knows. For He is the Son of God. For in Him are found all of the treasures and wisdom of God. Do you know that's what the Bible tells us? That if you want to find God's ways and God's wisdom and God's treasures, if we want them, then how do we find them? We find them in Christ. And how do we know Christ? We read, go back to chapter 1 of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by the Son. The Bible says that in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Therefore, if we will know God, if we will know the wisdom and treasures of God, we will find them as we consider Christ. Let me end with a couple quick applications. The Bible says that God's will for my life and God's will for your life, if someone were to ask you that, what would you say? What's God's will for your life? Well, the world's like, well, God wants me to buy this or not buy that or marry this person or not marry that person or make this decision or not that decision. But what is the most simple answer from the Bible? This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is to be godly. We are a set-apart people, and God's will for your life is to be godly. And so, when we consider that, our sanctification process comes as we consider the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that when you think about the book of Hebrews, it's interesting that as we consider Christ in His person and in His work, which is really what the author is doing, he's considering Christ, when we do that, our faith grows. Certainly, I don't know how many sermons I've preached in Hebrews so far, but just, just getting up to chapter 3, already, by considering these words in chapter 1 and chapter 2, my faith has grown tremendously and greatly in my knowledge of Christ, my understanding of the Bible, that I might be able to answer questions when people come to me. And so, the author of Hebrews is setting one precept upon another precept upon another. It's building, building, building. So he's telling the Hebrew Christians... Consider Christ, the great high priest. And he's going to bring that out. It works the same way for us. So I would say to you this morning, 
consider Christ. Consider him in all of the scriptures. Because Moses was just a servant as we are in God's household. There's no different in that respect. And Moses was given there that he might point to Christ. And so I would say to you, consider Christ. And consider Christ in all of the scriptures. I think this, just preaching through Hebrews will help us as we read the Old Testament. But, the Bible also says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and for the Greek. As Christians, we need the gospel. So therefore, consider Christ. Consider who He is and what He has done as we preach Him week in and week out. And we will grow in our sanctification. Now, I know I'm going to finish the sermon now. There's a lot more that I did not cover. However, verse 6 is going to be expounded upon really over the next chapter or two. And so we're going to get to that. But in the end, look with me there in verse 6. And and I'm going to close with this. We are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. I'm not skipping over that today. I am skipping over today, but we'll get back to that. Trust me, because it's coming in these next two chapters. But if you find yourself not having much hope or not much confidence, and you claim to be a Christian, well, I would say to you, and the author of Hebrews would say to you, he would use this as a test case. How are you holding fast to your confession? How are you in your, your hope for that which is to come? If you find yourself, yeah, I, I do believe, and, and, and we see it in the Scriptures, that Christians go up and down and up and down. This is a marathon. It is not a, a sprint. And I've I've gone, in my esteem, the way I look at it, I've gone down and I've gone up and I've gone down and I've gone up and I've had times of difficulty and I've had times of mountaintops and I've had times of hardship, I've had times of, of very mild persecution. But all of these things come. And so the author is saying to the Hebrews, if indeed you hold fast to your confession and your boasting in the hope. So I would say to you, how is your confidence as a Christian, how is your hope as you look forward to His coming? And so over time, if those things are not present in your life, maybe you're not a Christian. So I would say to you, consider these things and look unto Christ. But if you are a Christian, the answer is still the same. And we're going to, it is look unto Christ. And we're going to talk about that more. But with that in mind, I hope these words have been helpful a little bit, and I hope that as we leave this place, they will be good for us. I would remind us also to, Chris and I will be out of town next week. Jimmy will be preaching. Pray lots for Jimmy as he he brings a a very simple message for us, and good, I I look forward to hearing it. Um, But let's, uh, let's close with that. Let me pray. Father, we give thanks. Thank you for these words today. Thank you that Moses was certainly faithful. Christ was certainly faithful, but they are faithful in their position. They have different places. Moses was a sinful man. 
blessed by your grace, such as we are. Christ is the King of heaven, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord of lords. He sits at your right hand. Father, may we consider him who has more glory than Moses this morning. Help us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.